Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. I've got How to Write Anything, a complete guide. And when I say a complete guide, I mean the complete guide because my goodness, it is massive. This is uh, 596 pages of amazing information about how to write and how to write everything. A modernization of uh, how to tackle the day-to-day chore or joy of writing. So let's ask Laura. Laura Brown, thanks for writing the book, number one. Awesome. Um, What was your number one motivation for writing this book? My number one motivation for writing the book um, was really that the way we've The way we write has changed so much over the past 10 years. There are a lot of good books about writing, but they, um, you know, a lot of them are getting a little long in the tooth these days. And uh, a lot of them just cover a small sliver of writing, writing for school or writing at work. I wanted to do a really comprehensive book that would help everybody in the family and everybody at work write everything that they needed to write and really bring it up to date for the way we write now. Hmm. Um, what about the, the, the excessive use of slang in our modern uh, English language? Do you think slang has a place in writing these days? I think it does. I think, I think it's always had a place in writing. I think, you, um, I think the real key to using slang successfully is to show that you know you're using slang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to demonstrate that you know the rules before you break them. Um, I think where you run into trouble is uh, I have a lot of friends who teach college English and they complain that some of their students come in and start using texting language in an English paper and they have no idea that there's anything wrong with that. Hmm. Uh, And then when they start work, you know, they start sending smiley faces and typing WTF to their bosses and uh, that's when you run into trouble. (laughs) Well, you know, you brought up a very good point is is the use of, of uh, smiley faces and things like that to uh, try and get the emotion across. I think a, a lot of time with um, communication, especially email, people, if they're in a grumpy mood, they will read your email that you have written in, in, a, in a nice frame of mind. It's like, oh, he's angry. What an asshole. Oh, and get all upset about it and be completely off base. So I actually, with people that I know that tend to be a little sensitive, um, I will put smiley faces in there. And, uh, you know, the, the classic ones with using text. Um, do you think that's inappropriate? No, I don't think it's inappropriate. I think it depends on the audience. I yeah. think if you're, you know, if you're writing to a prospective customer for the first time, you probably don't want to do that. But if if you know your audience and um, you know that they're likely to respond in a particular way and you want to try to shape that response, I think it's fine. I remember when email first started, people were saying, well, you have to have these emoticons because you can't convey emotion in writing. You can't convey your intent in writing. You can. It just takes longer. Ah. So, um, of course, you can convey your intent, you can convey tone in writing, but it takes a while to get it right. And if you're moving fast and sending a lot of emails, then it's, it is a little harder. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people these days, because they seem to be overly busy and, and everything's expected, you know, 10 minutes ago instead of 10 minutes. Um, for you, is the art of writing succinctly a big part of uh, surviving t- in today's uh, modern world? I think it is. And I think um, 
I think what people really need to do is slow down a little bit. And I know that that's not really, um, that's probably not a popular piece of advice. Um, but I think if you slow down overall, you can speed up your response time. Um, you know, how many times have you gotten an email and felt like, oh, okay, I have to respond immediately and you start typing and then you get about halfway into it and you think, uh, no, this isn't really what I wanted to say, yeah. or I'm not really answering the question. Uh, so I always advise people with emails, just take a second and answer two questions for yourself. What am I responding to? And what's my purpose in sending the response? If you can slow down just long enough to really isolate what the reader's request was and what your actually re- actual response is, you'll move faster, hmm. um, and and you'll you will be more succinct and and you won't write those long three paragraph emails that nobody ever reads. Yeah, for me, well, I'm dyslexic, so I I have to uh, be very cautious about what I send out. So I'll write something, think, oh, that looks pretty good. I better do a spell check, and then suddenly, oh, there's 27 words that are spelt wrong. And by going through, um, I'll start simplifying and say, you know, I don't need that sentence. And why did I write it that way? It makes more sense. And I'll spend quite a long long time structuring my email so it's easy for the other person to get the meaning that I'm trying to get across. Yeah, I think I think that's great. I have clients who who are dyslexic, and they're very good writers because they have to work that much harder uh, at communicating. So I think everybody could take a lesson from that. <laughs> yeah, forced to be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the book. You know, you know, I, I did uh, jokingly say it's, it's a very long book, but the reason is it's not that you have to read the whole book. It's more of a reference guide, like you said, a cookbook. But how should I tackle the book? I mean, I've got this book. I've plunked it down on the table. And uh, how, should I, how should I get into it if I've never read it before? I think you should probably take a few minutes and look through the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's divided into a couple of sections. The beginning talks about the writing process, and it gives you some advice about how you can isolate the best writing process for yourself. Uh, I know we've all taken writing classes. We've been told how to do it. I have a slightly different idea uh, than what you've probably heard in writing classes or writing training. I think that everybody has their own ideal uh, system, whether you're aware of it or not. And the beginning of the book will help you figure out, well, what really works for me? Do I like to write an outline? Do I like to start with a draft? Any way that's effective is okay. You just Mm -hmm. have to get to know yourself. And then the majority of the book is basically an encyclopedia of about 200 different writing tasks. So I would say to tackle the book, uh, look through the first, you know, the first 40 pages or so, see if there's anything that will help you with your writing. And then just, you know, jump in. I I really hope nobody's going to read this cover to cover because it would be like reading an encyclopedia cover to cover. Uh, For sure. What I love about the book, though, is you kind of, it's broken up into many, many small parts, very much, it has a very similar feel like to The Joy of Cooking, really, um, the, the the tonality of the pages, uh, the graphics and everything, how things are broken out, you've got these great uh, notes. In fact, those uh, notes, they remind me very much of uh, Microsoft Word when it's tracking your changes. Um, what was the influence for, for the design? You know, part of the influence for the design was my background in e-learning. Um, I've been working in e-learning since, off and on, since 1999. I worked with some of the pioneers in e-learning. Um, and one of, one of the insights into learning that, that they talk about is um, 
allowing learners to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. So for, for almost all of the entries, I have good and bad examples. Um, say a good and bad example of a work email, a good and bad example of a thank you note. Um, and I start with a bad example, and the bad example is never terrible. It's, uh, it's, it's something that you might look at and think, yeah, that's sort of okay. And then I have the sort of comment balloons on either side saying, well, you know, you could sharpen this up, or this writer is missing something, or this writer is going on too long, or this writer is talking more about herself than about the reader. And then on the facing page, I have a, a, the revised better version. And I think that's, that's a good way to help, help people learn for themselves what works and what doesn't. Mm, yeah, as as they discover the differences, they go, oh, they have their own personal little epiphany, and that's what locks into the brain, and then they've learned that rule, and then they can distort it however it works with their particular personality. Exactly. Um, you've got this wonderful little dial here. It's got like purpose, re, um, reader, brainstorm, organize, draft, revise. Is this the master system? It is the master system insofar as it works for you. Mm. And what I mean by that is that writing is usually taught as a linear process. Um, and all those steps are taught one by one. You consider your purpose and your reader and then you brainstorm and then you outline and then you write a draft and then you revise the draft. And I was teaching one night at Columbia University. I was teaching uh, an adult ed class, um, people coming back to college after having been in the workforce for a while. So I wanted to give them some help with writing. And I heard myself saying to them, okay, guys, I'm not going to teach you about the writing process. I know you're not going to use this, but I'm going to teach it to you anyway. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. I'm doing something wrong here. <laughs> and what I realized was wrong was that I was trying to force them to go in this linear step-by-step -step process. And when I thought about it, I thought, I don't even do that when I write. When I write, I just sit down and start writing a draft. Mm. And then I look at it and I say, okay, that's not very well organized or this information is missing or I'm not considering my reader enough. So I think that everybody, as I was saying earlier, has, has a, an, an ideal way for them to work. Um, and that's part of what I'm trying to do in the beginning of the book. I take that process and instead of presenting it as a line, I present it as a spinner. One of those little spinners that you had with your childhood games you can start anywhere. You can start by writing a draft. You can start by writing an outline. You can start by writing an analysis of your reader. Really, you can start any place, and that's what that that section of the book is for. Mm. You know, you, you. I want to jump into here uh, because very early on, you got a love letter, which I think is fantastic. You know, it's like wow. That is so true. And I think what I get out of this book is the concept of defining what you're trying to accomplish or defining what you're trying to write because each task or each assignment, let's say, for a better word, um, is all about saying, oh, if I'm writing a love letter or a business response, those are two totally different ways of writing. And you tackle it so seamlessly in the book. Well, those are, I think those are really the two things that you need in order to write successfully. You need, first of all, as we were just talking about, to understand the system that works best for you and accept that and let yourself work that way. And then the other thing you need is really an understanding of what's required 
in this particular genre of writing. If you were writing a sales proposal, for example, if you were writing a sales proposal for the first time, you'd really need to know, okay, what's in a sales proposal? What's it for? What does it have to contain? What are nice-to-haves? And I think that the same guidelines are true for any kind of writing, whether it's a, a recipe or an obituary. There's certain things that people look for and people expect. And I think if you know those fundamentals, it's much easier for you to just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and also enables you to look it up in the book a lot easier, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, you, and another thing you do in the book, uh, because it, it is such a, a vast amount of information, is you break it down to these very succinct sections. So I'm just going to, for a listening audience, I'm just going to basically, you've got section one, which is the writing process, and you've got section two, which is e-writing and the, techno- the technology revolution. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. But really, that's only about 43 pages out of the 500, uh, almost 550-plus pages. Then section three is the big section of the book. And uh, writing for your personal life, and then it goes writing at school, writing at work. Um, in those different sections, it's broken down to very similar parts. Is that you trying to build a system where people go like defining, okay, I'm writing for work. What am I trying to accomplish? So they kind of get into a rhythm. Well, certainly the breaking it up into three sections was just for ease of reference. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're looking for work writing, then you won't look in the school section. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's the three main sections, writing at work, writing at school and writing in your personal life. And within each one of those, um, I, I, I really wanted to talk about the most common forms of writing mm. in each of those sections and then organize them a little bit just as, a, just as a way to make it easy for people to find what they're looking for and also to make the browsing process sort of sensible. Mm. Right. So if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for information about how to promote your small business, uh, you would go maybe to the promotion section and look at uh, how to write web copy and how to use Twitter and how to use Facebook and how to write a press release. So it's it's organized to be as helpful as possible. And, you know, the you know, the it's hard to get over how much information is in this book. It is really staggering. Um do people, do you think after a while, after, you know, utilizing this book as a reference source, they'll end up uh, teaching themselves and they'll have to not have to go back as often um, or just get really good at, at pinpointing, oh, this is exactly what I need to know? I hope that people will become better writers um, and need to lean on the book a lot less because that's really my objective. I really do believe that everybody can write anything they need to write. I think, you know, some people are more talented at writing and some people are more talented at math. Um, but there's no reason that, that everybody can't become a competent writer. So it's, I, I like to think of it as sort of training wheels, you know. Nice, nice. <laughs> you look at, a, at, at some guidelines, you look at a model outline, you look at a couple of examples, and that gives you, I hope, the confidence to go ahead and do it yourself. Mm. Because I, I don't mean for the models in the book to be something that you can just copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are books out there that are sort of model letters that you're supposed to just copy. But I, I think it's better if you can get your own voice into it. Well, yeah, and that, that, that way you're transposing your personality. And really, if you're in business or, or uh, in love, you're trying to get across who you are 
as a human being and whether you want to do business with me or you want to have a long-term relationship with me is based on those facts and that information. Right. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, people don't trust themselves when they write. And that's that's one of the things that makes me the saddest when people say to me, oh, I just can't write. Um, I had a, a friend not too long ago who was applying to a, a master's program and she was freaking out about the application essay and she wanted me to help her. And I said, okay, well, what do you want to say? And then she talked for about seven to ten minutes and very articulately about why she wanted to be in the program and what she was excited about and how she was going to use her time and what kind of projects she wanted to work on. And I said to her, look, you just spoke your first draft to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you called me up and you said, oh, I can't express myself. And then you've expressed yourself really eloquently. And I really I really hope that people can learn to give themselves a break um, and Really, I think if you can talk, you can write. Mm-hmm. I don't encourage people to do that. Well, and, and I think it's also finding a system that enables you to basically do a mind dump. I mean, this is the way I write. I, I'll do a, a rant or a mind dump. Say, bleh, and there's no rules. It doesn't matter. Right? The sentences don't even have to be legible or I can be seeing tons of mistakes. It doesn't matter. Then I go away. I have lunch. And then I come back and I try and figure what the heck was I trying to say here. And because you've had that separation of time, you're looking at it as, um, as like the person that's about to read it and the passion has been le- has left and you go, well, that, that's, that's a crazy sentence. Why would it say, it's gone. And for me, that's my writing process. For other people, like you said, they have to voice it and that's when the creativity comes out and, and stuff like that. For you, what do you recommend for people that... Um, need to discover that uh, writing block or, or the thing that enables them to do the mind dump? I think really um, it's a process of just noticing what works for yourself. Um, I think people will tend to do the thing that they're most comfortable doing anyway. Um, so just notice when you when you have to write something. Uh, email might not be a good example because we all just tend to sit down and write. Mm-hmm. But when you have to write something a little a little longer, where do you get stuck? Where do you feel comfortable? Um, notice that about yourself, and and then decide. Okay, hey, that's how I work. I mean, what you've just described is terrific. You you do this sort of mind dump. You come back, and then you turn that content into a draft. Um, and that's another thing that, that I, I often work with people on. It, the first draft doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> oh, gosh. And it won't be. Nobody's yeah. first draft is perfect. If it's, um, if it's legible, you're, you're, you've done well. Yeah, exactly. And, and often I go back to my notes and I say, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what was I trying to say there? <laughs> so I think a lot of it is just a process of you know, giving yourself a break and giving yourself some credit and working in a way that really works well for you. Um, you use the word there, notes, and I think that's a critical uh, thing with anything, whether you're taking notes at a meeting, whether you're just talking a lot, and then after the meeting, frantically writing down all the things you can remember. What uh, would you recommend for our listeners um, is, is a good strategy for notes, H- how to tackle notes? Is there a formula? I don't think there's a formula. I th- I th- I have some information in the book about it. Uh, There's been a lot in the press recently. A couple of studies have come out about taking notes on a laptop. Um, And this is in the context of college students. Um, And what these studies have found is that taking notes on a laptop is 
doesn't promote memory. Mm-hmm. That taking notes by hand actually promotes memory better than taking notes on a laptop. And I have I have a lot of friends who are college professors who are very excited about that. <laughs> and I think it's true because I think when you actually write something down, it sort of gets into your your body, into your brain a little more than when you type it. But I think it's entirely up to you. But the main thing about taking notes is um, you shouldn't try to write down everything you hear. Mm-hmm. You should really listen for main ideas because there's no way unless, you know, you're a, you're a speed typist, you can tr- literally transcribe everything you've heard. But listen for people's main ideas and then you'll have good notes. Well, and I think also the danger of subscribing, uh, uh, subscribing, transcribing is, you know, you're sitting there writing and you, you do like 120 words a minute and that's a miraculous. Um, you're just a conduit for the for the particular information. You've stripped out all the emotion. So when right. you reread it, you may not understand what the most important point was. Right. And I've, I've certainly had that experience um, of sitting in a meeting and I'm a pretty fast typist. Um, and basically typing everything that I've heard and then coming back to the transcript and thinking, was I even in this meeting? Mm-hmm. I don't really remember people talking and I don't remember the course of the discussion. I don't remember the, the, the argument that took place. I'm just seeing a transcript. So I think you're absolutely right. You need to be engaged a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, also, you, you have to be engaged in the meeting uh, so you can get your salient points across and your point of view across, because if not, you're just being passive, you're going to get steamrolled over by the project. Yeah, that's really true. And that that can be hard. It can be hard if you're trying to keep track of things and also make a contribution. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that's a very important point. Uh, let's talk about the the huge, huge process of writing a book. I know that's a totally unfair subject, but I'm going to throw it at you anyways. Uh, you just finished writing a book. Um, but before we get to that question, I'm going to ask you, and I ask this of all the authors, for you, you know, you've got all this information and knowledge and, and skill sets, and you're, you're condensing it, you're putting it into written form. What was a clarity moment? What was your aha moment where you really realized down to the core of the reality of it? It's like, wow, I totally get that now. Um, I, think, I think it happened when I had to write sections that I really didn't know a lot about. <laughs> um, I, I I have a section on science paper. I have a section on uh, uh, like a like a lab report for a science class, and I had to ask friends for help on that. And once I got the help, I realized, oh, I can do this because I'm thinking from the point of view of someone who has to write it. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the aha moment for me. Like I really have to put myself in my reader's shoes and understand what they need, and then I can supply it. Hmm. Wow. So let's go back to that original question. How do you write a book? <laughs> uh, you have to stop thinking about the fact that you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. I think I think you have to um, I, I have a PhD in English. My PhD dissertation ended up being 235 pages. Yeah. And yeah, and if I had if I had sat down on day one and said, I'm now going to start writing 235 pages, mm. I probably would have given up. <laughs> so I think, you know, just day to day, I think you have to um, break it up into smaller pieces um, and, and work that way. And I also think, again, you, you need to come back always to the question of what you're trying to do for your reader. Mm-hmm. And 
that can help you avoid going off on tangents because we all have a lot of ideas about things. We all have a lot of hobby horses that we like to ride. Um, and that can end up as a terrible editing job if you just sort of dump everything out into your manuscript. So I think just taking it one piece at a time and always keeping your reader in mind makes it a lot easier to write a book. Well, also the discipline of like you have to write for so many hours a day to to make it a, a, a doable project. Yes, and I was very lucky. Um, I have a friend who runs a theater company in New York City, uh, Red Bull Classical Theater, and they had some extra office space uh, that they, they let me use to write most of the book. Um, there was no internet, and my cell phone didn't work in oh, the office. Nice. Way, way, way upstairs in a, a, a building in Wall Street. They had been given this space by a donor. Uh, so I was able to go there for five hours a day and not get on the internet and not look at my cell phone and, and just write, as you say, hmm. every day. Yeah, you got to get into the flow for sure. Yeah. Um, let's do the other side of the spectrum now, from writing a book to writing a blog post. That's 250, 300 words, sometimes, sometimes longer. How do you tackle a blog post? Again, I think it comes back to thinking about what's going to be interesting to your readers. Mm -hmm. um, really, what's your core message? What is the value that you're providing to your reader? I mean, I, I know a lot of people will have blogs and they just sort of they just sort of vent and they talk about what they want to talk about. Um, and a lot of people have fans if they have sort of an interesting voice or they're funny. Um, but I think if you're writing in business, the the thing about a blog post is really to figure out. What what of value do I want to give to my reader here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, well, for everything, I think, is if you're trying to bring value to the table, you're going to build a, a, definitely a, a listening audience. Um, let me just write a little note here. Hang on, 25, 30, 35 seconds. There we go. Perfect. Sorry, it was a little technical thing I had to do there. Okay. Excellent. Ah, tell me an anecdote uh, from writing the book. Now, I know most books, business books, they'll have anecdotes all the way through it, and they're written actually into the structure of the book. But tell us a little anecdote about writing the book. You know, what was your life like while writing this book about writing? I will tell you an anecdote about writing this book. <laughs> It has to do with my relationship with Microsoft Word. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> this book had to be a single Word file uh, in order to submit it to the publisher. Um, and it ended up being over a thousand pages. Wow. And um, I, I upgraded my operating system while I was writing the book. I, I work on a Mac, but I had an old version of Word. Um, and the file kept crashing, and it kept crashing, and it kept crashing. And I finally had to hire a friend of mine who's an expert on Microsoft Word just to get the file into, just to make it behave. And I discovered later that what was going on was that my my version of the uh, Microsoft, I'm uh, not Microsoft, um, Macintosh, my version of the Apple operating system didn't play nice with my version of Word. Uh -huh. That was a known bug, but it was not known to me. They had to tell me at the Genius Bar. But, um, but I did actually have to hire somebody, and I was a little embarrassed to get the Word file into shape. 
Yeah, it's a lot of times um, when working with with programs like that, they're adding a lot of extra junk you don't need. A lot of times what I do is I will get a Word document from people and I'll I'll put it into uh, text editing uh, software, which basically strips out absolutely everything and you're just getting the keystrokes. And it's amazing how many triple spaces and garbage that's being put in there that you have to clean up before putting into a, uh, a layout document. Let's talk a little bit about changing hats because, you know, during a day, uh, you're, you're going to be writing emails, then you might be writing a little blog post, and then you've got to write a report, you've got to do this and that and the other thing. Is there a technique to, to, to changing your, your writing style, or is that just a format change and it's, it's always your style, but it's just being put in different formats? I think I think everybody has um, has several different styles. Mm. I think you know you have a style for writing emails, and which is probably I hope different from your style of writing blog posts. Um, but they're all your style. I, shifting gears can be hard. The thing that helps me the most is just getting up and getting away from the word processor. And uh, you know if I'm if I'm processing emails and then I want to turn to writing a blog post, I'll just get up and you know go outside or have a cup of coffee or something, and whatever works for you to just press the reset button. Um, another thing that helps me is reading. Um, if I've yeah. been firing off a lot of quick emails and want to sort of shift gears and write something longer and more developed, I might read a few blog posts just to sort of get the get the voice in my head. Hmm. That's, you know, you, you brought a very salient point that a lot of people, they'll sit down on their computer at the beginning of the day and they, they're they on that screen and on that keyboard for hours and hours and hours and skipping from all sorts of different things and not giving the brain a chance to say, oh, hang on, there, <laughs> there's a break in the workflow. Maybe we're doing something different here. And that's a, that's a physical uh, process that I don't think a lot of people do and I think it's very unhealthy. I think it's unhealthy, too. I, I can't remember where I read this, but I read it recently that they're saying now that sitting is the new smoking. Ah. That it really is a, literally a health risk. So uh, I'm a big advocate of standing up and walking away, even if it's just for a few minutes. It, does, it, it helps your body and it resets your brain as well. Well, and I think also if you're working um, as, as a solopreneur or, or, or somebody that's on assignment in a specific area and you don't have any distractions that, that, that happen in office spaces all the time, um, you can definitely be in the computer like, oh my gosh, I've been here for six hours. I must have been very productive. And a lot of times you haven't been productive and uh, your brain started to stagnate. Uh, I did a fascinating discussion with somebody about um, how, to, how to write more efficiently or, or how to do anything more efficiently. And he basically said, um, if you're doing something for an hour, the first 10 minutes is efficient. The next 80 minutes is totally inefficient. And the last 10 minutes tends to be you back on track. So he just broke that down into smaller sections. So it was like two minutes, uh, five minutes, two minutes. And uh, he said, by doing that, you can increase your efficiency in reading and 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 consumption of data and knowledge uh, by up to 65%. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Really, really amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think the brain, ha- ha- we're asking the brain to do way more uh, than it's actually been designed to, to handle. Well, maybe not designed, but as we've grown up and as technology has, and the world has got faster and faster and faster, 
we haven't retrained ourselves to deal with that different scenario. Well, I think that I don't think that we were actually wired to work in the way that we work now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that humans evolved, you know, sitting down staring at a screen eight hours a day or even doing one task eight hours a day. Because if you think about what people used to do in the past, most people were farmers or fishermen or hunters or something like that. And in a life like that, there's a lot of variety. And now we've put ourselves in a, a work setting where we don't have a lot of variety and, and we just have to sort of flog ourselves to, to make sure that we're productive sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, self-management is, is brutal because you've got your managers in your head. You can't walk yeah. away with them. If you have big arguments, people think you're crazy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was on my phone. Really, really. It's a Bluetooth mic. Uh, let's talk about, and this is a totally unfair question, but I'm going to ask you anyways. What is your favorite part of this book? Oh, that's an that's an easy one. Oh, wow. My favorite part of the book is the fan letter. What? Really? Why is that? <laughs> I had so much fun um I had so much fun writing it. It's uh um I'm a fan of Tim Curry and uh Tim Curry has a lot of fans and a lot of them are crazy. Uh so you see a lot of crazy things on the internet. So I I just as as the sample I used uh I used a letter, a fan letter to Tim Curry, and uh, the bad example is pretty crazy, and the good example is much more respectful, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed, I enjoyed writing that, and then um, someone who has a, actually has a Tim Curry Tumblr actually posted that section of the book. Wow, so. kudos to you. I was pleased about that. <laughs> I sent him a copy. I don't know if he's received it, but I hope he enjoys it. <laughs> um. We touched on this a little bit earlier in the interview, but uh, I wanted to ask you, because it's such a large book, how long in your mind did it take you to write this book? It took me about a year because I was able to take some time off and focus on it. Um, and also because um, the entries are are formatted in such a way that each one of them has an introduction and a model outline and do's and don'ts. So it was kind of templatized. Uh, so that made it easier to write it a little faster. Hmm. Um, but you were writing five hours a day, you said earlier. Yeah, that's so, about as much as I can do. Five days a week? Yes. Wow, for a year? Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of rewriting. That's what I do. <laughs> <I'm a> writer. <laughs> you know, like baskets and baskets of commas. Uh, get rid of that comma. Uh, yeah, let's, actually, that's a, that's a good one. The use of the comma, the most overused and underused and, and misused uh, thing in uh, a sentence or in a paragraph, um, how, is there a, a hard rule for commas? Uh, some people say you use too many commas. Some people tell me I don't use enough. What do you think? Um, now, what I remember from teaching composition is that there are nine occasions when you use commas. Ah. And, I don't remember all of them, but um, commas are actually a source of a lot of insecurity for people. A lot of people that I coach will admit to me, oh, you know, I don't really know how to use a comma. And, and that preys on their mind and it makes them feel insecure. If you're, if you're writing and you don't really know how to do it, it, that comes back to you over and over again. Am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this wrong? Um, so I think it's worthwhile learning the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, for me, for commas, I'll use if it's a pause, uh, if um, it's a chunk of text that's uh, irrelevant but not as irrelevant as putting it through parentheses. Um, so it, it's uh, 
But that takes time, and that can really slow down your workflow if you're worrying about the little niddly bits. What mm-hmm. type of writing do you have to worry about the little niddly bits, and what type of areas of writing you don't have to worry so much? Well, I think I think it depends on what you mean by little niddly bits. Um, well, commas, pronunciation, you know, the flow of how somebody would read a piece. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a misplaced comma can really change the meaning of any kind of sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, people don't seem to worry about punctuation in texting. Uh, so I would say that's you're pretty safe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Twitter, you know. Yeah, Twitter. Now, exactly. That's a space. <laughs> it's a wasted character. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but... Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to pay attention to punctuation. Really not, you know, it's not about slavishly following the rules, it's about making yourself clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll I'll write a paragraph and then break up the paragraph into five sentences or four sentences, almost bullet points. Uh that is a really good way to get rid of a lot of extra commas, uh, commas especially in emails because then it it a period people tend to stop, I would hope. But if it's if it's a a micro paragraph it's almost forcing them. It's like writing poetry. You're making, uh, putting shifts in and, and, and paragraph um, returns in to actually physically make the eye move, which is the same as a comma. That's Well, that's a great idea, especially with emails, because people don't read emails, they scan them. Mm-hmm. So anything you can do to make them easier to scan, and I think breaking them into, into short sections, either with or without bullet points, is a great idea. But, you know, there are rules for commas. <laughs> um, you know, you, you separate items in a series with... Yeah, yeah. that's one everybody that's knows, I think. Yeah. If you're joining two sentences with and or but or nor, you would put a comma before the conjunction. Mm-hmm. And then, as you say, if you're setting off a, a, a non-restrictive clause. Mm, or if you're uh, quoting somebody. Well, not quoting, but yes. he said that, 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 that which yes. is my favorite use of the comma. To introduce a quote. Yeah, that's correct. I think there are nine of them. I'm sure you can find them somewhere online. And um, if you just glance at them, then you won't feel insecure anymore. You'll know what you're doing. Uh, do you think the exclamation point is overused or underused? It's overused, and I'm guilty of it myself. (laughs) Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, she said. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's way overused. But again, it depends on the context. I think, you know, on Facebook is one thing, but if you're writing at work, then I think you should try to reel it in. There is a key character that is an exclamation mark and a question mark combined. It's an actual uh, functioning letter. Have you ever run, run across that? The intero bang. Thank you for having that in your memory. <laughs> that is amazing. That is so nerdy of you. <laughs> I guess I'm a writing nerd, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, do you know anything about that? I think it started in the 70s. I think I remember mm. seeing it when I was in high school and thinking, oh, that's cool. Mm. And, um, you know, and learning how to write it. I didn't know that it was actually a keystroke. Yeah, you've got to have – it's a specialty key. You can actually program in, I think. Um, okay. Like um, it's the other – there's a bunch of them out there, uh, ones where it's the letters that are designed uh, to be very close together sometimes come out as, as one keystroke as well. Um, in typesetting, you have that as an option. But yeah, I, I remember discovering that not that long ago, probably about a year and a half ago, and just, oh, my God, this is a perfect Facebook post. It is. You know? It's useful. It's useful. It's an urgent question. Really? 
Now, yeah. if you use it, but it's 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 kind of obscure. So that's another thing I wanted to ask you is the use of clever English or or um, maybe the clever language is the wrong word. Um, over-sophisticated vocabulary. And I remember this when I, I bring this story up a lot. I used to, when I was in Tokyo, uh, working with a magazine company, one of the head writers, he would use all these amazing words. And, I, I, and I'm dyslexic, so I, I rarely will correct something. And it was talking about uh, dinner, and he was saying, uh, blah, 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 Philip, um, uh, a fish, blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, he said, he's misspelled fillet. Silly. Oh, and I oh. changed it to Philip and then said, I better check. I went to him and I said, uh, look, I changed Philip to Philip just like you know. It's, no, it's Philip. It means to glow or have essence. I said, dude, we're in Japan. We're writing English for the international business community. I get that you love those words, but that's just going to confuse the issue and everybody's going to think it's a typo. Um, so how important is it to understand the limitations of uh the best grade, well, not the limited, what's the best grade level to write at? Oh, that's, that's a, that's a tough question. I think it is, I, I think you've answered your own question. Mm-hmm. It, it really it does have to do with your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, for a general audience, I, you know, seriously for a general audience, seventh or eighth grade, mm-hmm. I think if you really just want to be sure that everybody hears what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I say a lot of times when I'm working with writers and I say, look, can we write this at age six, seven level? And they go, look, what? I'm a mm-hmm. university, but I would all this, I know, but, um, and the thing that wins them over more than anything else is, I said, it'll enable people to read your, your thoughts and ideas quicker and more succinctly. It's not about understanding it in a deeper way or saying, well, that's really clever writing. People don't need that. They need to be able to get to that information, especially if it's valuable information, because if it's too difficult to get the information, guess what? They're gone. Right. You don't get I a second chance. I think you're right. It, it's not that people can't read at a 12th grade level or beyond. It's just that it's much easier for them to read something that's a little more straightforward. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, you, you notice I, I'm a little pedantic by the use of my vocabulary. Um, and uh, apparently, that's all part of uh, different types of personality types. You have uh, people that um, are outgoing, and then you have people that are a little bit more secluded and think a lot more before they say something. Um, is that part of the, the, the way people write? Can you Does that come across? Does the personality type come across in the writing style? Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. Even um, even in something as simple as an email, I think you 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 can hear people's personality types. Hmm. All right, for all our listeners, uh, business people alike, what should they be doing, like right now today, as they're listening to this podcast, to improve their writing? Um, I. I I feel like a broken record. I keep saying this. Um, They should be putting themselves in their reader's shoes. Mm -hmm. Every time you write something, you're writing, unless you're writing a journal entry, you're writing for someone else. And whatever it is you're writing will be more effective if you can really put yourself in your reader's shoes and think, how will my reader respond to this? You might find yourself making changes once you ask yourself that question. Well, and also with the the proliferation of uh, social sharing and stuff like that, a lot of times you're not writing for one person. You may be writing for thousands of people or, or for a whole division of an organization. Uh, right. So that's something definitely to take in mind that 
should we be taking our writing a little bit more seriously than we do? It's like, I'll just blast it off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, do what you want on Facebook. Um, although I have, I have some guidelines for Facebook as well. <laughs> but it really matters at work. It really matters. And, um, you know, sometimes, yeah, your, your reputation is always online. And sometimes whether a project goes forward or not has to do with how well you express your ideas. Mm. So, uh, you know, think about the consequences. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm really happy you mentioned uh, Facebook uh, because I have a love hate relationship with that uh, communication device, and what I hate is people that say "awesome" or "you're so clever." They're they're responding to the post of the other person, but they're not communicating anything. A lot of times, they haven't read what the article the person's pointing out. They're just you know poking them for for use of a better word since we're talking about Facebook. Uh, for me, I love to answer after doing a, a quick Google research. The other thing I hate is people asking questions on Facebook that they could have Googled much quicker than asking. So when writing for Facebook or interfacing with people on Facebook, should you be strict like that or am I just being uptight? I don't think you're being uptight. I think everybody's really annoyed with Facebook a lot of the time. Mm. And I think it's for, you know, the same or similar reasons that you're talking about. So I don't think it's a bad thing to put some put some thought and energy into doing good uh, Facebook status updates. I um, I actually wrote a blog post about this on, on Huffington Post. And what I like to tell people if, if they're interested in hearing what I think about Facebook is that I think you should think of yourself on Facebook as sort of the editor of a magazine mm-hmm. and you're providing content for your friends. Uh, so you want to provide content that's interesting for them. You want to provide content that is, has, that is a little bit various, different photos or videos or sharing articles or sharing thoughts. Um, if you get on Facebook every day and tell me how, how unhappy you are, I really don't want to follow you anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you do you have a readership on facebook um what about responding to other people's posts how should you do that is it okay just to have like the thing that annoys me is like the one word responses or is it good to say hey you know i really like this and by the way the last paragraph was amazing when it said this and by the way here's a relevant link to that is that being overly uh responsive I don't think it's being overly responsive, but I, you know, you know that not everybody's going to do that, mm-hmm. uh, that some people are just going to write awesome. But you, know, you really can develop relationships on Facebook, um, and, and the way you do that is by responding in exactly the way that you're describing. Um, and I think it also, it's, it's a way of, of showing your appreciation of, of what somebody has posted. I, I have a friend who's a wonderful writer, and he was posting every day a little section of a memoir that he was working on. Um, Just a little section. It wasn't a big demand in terms of time. And the writing was wonderful. And he told me eventually he started feeling demoralized because a lot of people would just click like Mm -hmm. or just write, great, that was great. And he was giving a lot of himself. He wanted a little more feedback than that. Yeah, I think the, the, the rule of thumb that I tell a lot of people that get into Headspace like that is, uh, I think it's like 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 people will never comment for every like or for every small response. You're like, 
awesome or something like that. Um, so if you get one, that means actually 3,000 people have been exposed to that piece of writing uh, before you get that one response. So if nobody responses, you've probably got several hundred people at least have seen it. So uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is too is the angst of the artist and, and writing as an artistic form. And if you're putting something of yourself, your inner self, out there for public consumption, if you don't get positive responses or you don't get any response, it's hard on you. How does a writer deal with stuff like that? Well, I, you know, I that's think probably not in the book. It's so, not in the bonus book. Bonus material it's, here, you folks. But it's, it's, <laughs> but it's an interesting question. I really think you have to consider the forum and, um, and, and protect your ego and your self-esteem a little bit mm-hmm. from Facebook and Twitter because you know you're not going to get what you deserve on Facebook and Twitter. So just, you know, I, I used to have a friend who would say, consider the source. Ah. <laughs> consider where you are, you know, and, and don't really put yourself on the line. Hmm. Um. For people who want to learn more about this amazing book and uh, once they've uh, got the book and have read a little bit about it, where, where should they go to learn more and, and, and be up to date? My website is www.howtowriteanything.com. Um, there's more information about the book. I have a blog there. There's some free downloads on uh, things like punctuation and grammar and, mm-hmm. and specific writing tasks that people can use there. Um, I also have uh, my consulting website is laurabrowncommunications.com if anybody wants to talk to me about working on writing or training projects. Hmm, very cool. Um, one last question. What is your favorite type of blog post to write about? I like to write blog posts about experiences that I've had with clients that have taught me things and opened my eyes. I, I was brought in recently to work for a small company um, to consult with their writing, about their writing. And the, the owner said to me, uh, the writing's not effective. It's not effective. Uh, so I had, to, I had to diagnose what that meant. Um, and as I worked with people who wrote, they were all writing the same kind of memo. And what emerged was that there were several principles in the firm, and they each wanted something different mm. from this memo. So once I assessed that, I was able to sit down with the owners and say, well, this is what I'm hearing, and can we come up with some kind of a template that will be flexible enough that will make everybody happy, but uh, at least the junior people won't be driving themselves crazy trying to figure out what you want. Mm. Um, and moments like that I really like to write about because that really wasn't a writing problem. It was an alignment problem. Mm-hmm. And you learn, you know, you learn through working through these things. Yeah, well, communication strategy, that, for me, that's my biggest uh, love and my biggest hate is, the, you know, going into an organization and before we can even get started on the project is fixing the vocabulary. And, and people would say one word, they would use a word and it would mean something completely different than what I would understand it for. And what a lot of times what uh, a lot of the people that we're managing uh, would, would get out. So there's a lot of cross purposes, uh, miscommunication and wasted time. And hence some serious uh, ROI was being uh, not put on the table. Right, right. It's a huge waste of time. People, I think people tend to, th- they take communication for granted. They take writing for granted. But really, if you're not, if you're not doing it right, you're wasting an enormous amount of time and money. Hmm. Sounds like your second book. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, 
How to Write Anything, A Complete Guide, Organized Drafts Revised by Laura Brown. Laura, awesome. Thank you for being on the show and highly recommend anybody uh, should, uh, basically anybody should have this book in their library because really anybody can use it. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week. Thank you.